Okay, let's, uh, let's get going. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. Um, we, we thank you that um, you are God, and you, you are not just God, but you are also good. I thank you for um, these dear ones before me, this expression of the body of Christ here at Pilgrim Hill. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make us even wiser to the things of the Lord today. I pray even in this Sunday school time, we would perhaps gain a few more millimeters of, of sanctification, of holiness, of wisdom, um, as we seek to think your thoughts after you. We thank you, Lord, that you are not just a God who saves, but you are a God who, who sanctifies, that, that the pronouncement of holiness that is upon us because of Christ will, will not just be theory or not just be a, a legal pronouncement, but it will one day be true. We, we will be sinless, holy people. And that's, that's amazing. Thank you that you are seeing to it even now. Help us to uh, give ourselves to it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, quick, quick note. Um, Joshua was supposed to be um, on adoption last week, chapter 12, um, but he was sick, so I, don't, I want to appreciate his labors, and he'll, so we'll plug him in at some point. But we are skipping chapter 12 as far as the flow goes, and we're in chapter 13 this week of sanctification. Um, I'm going to begin um, by reading something from the Great Divorce, and it's, it's, a, few, it's a few minutes of a, a reading, so you can kind of settle in to it, but I, I think um, it'll be helpful to, to hold this picture in our mind um, that Lewis paints for us as we then fill it in with, with Bible and, and, and theology, because it is um, hard to overstate with so many things that I've read from Lewis how, how impactful this was for me in understanding what we're going to talk about today. This is from The Great Divorce. Um, this is, if you're not familiar with the book, take a bus ride from hell to heaven, and this man gets to explore heaven in a sense, and hears these dialogues with people who refused to come to heaven, and you get an insight on, on why people wouldn't. And here we encounter a man who will actually turn out to be redeemed, um, but he is facing his, his moment, his crucible moment, um, as he encounters this um, great angelic being who, who wants to kill something in him. Um, it'll turn out to, to the lizard represents lust, but you could fill in any sin for this. Would you like me to make him quiet? Said the flaming spirit. An angel, as I now understood. Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Ah, look out, you're burning me. Keep away said the ghost, retreating. Don't you want him killed? Well, you didn't say anything about killing him at first. I, I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, that, that's a further question. I'm, I'm quite open to consider it, but it's a new point, isn't it? I mean, I mean, for a moment, I was only thinking about trying to silence it because up here, well, it's, it's so damned embarrassing. May I kill it? Well, th there is time to discuss that later. There is no time. May I kill it? Please, I, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, don't bother. Look, it, it's going to sleep of its own accord. I'm, I'm sure it'll be all right now. Thanks ever so much. May I kill it? Get back. You're burning me, 
How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It is not so. Why, you're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. Why are you torturing me? You're, you're jeering at me. How can I let you tear me to pieces? If you wanted to help me, why didn't you kill the damned thing without even asking me before I knew? It would have all been over by now then. I won't kill it against your will. It is impossible. Have I your permission? The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that even I could hear what it was saying. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you and he will. Then you'd be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd not be a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. Yes, yes, I, I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams, but aren't they better than nothing? And I'll, I'll be so good. I admit I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I, I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. Have I your permission, said the angel to the ghost. I know it will kill me. It won't, but supposing it did, you're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature than I may. Damn and blast you. Go on, can't you? Get it over with. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost, but ended whimpering, God help me. God help me. Next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I never heard on earth. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile and twisted it while it bit and it writhed and then flung it, broken-backed, onto the turf. Ow, that's done for me, gasped the ghost, reeling backwards. For a moment, I could make out nothing distinctly. Then I saw between me and the nearest bush unmistakably solid, but growing every moment solider. The upper arm and the shoulder of a man, then bright and still stronger, the legs and the hands, the neck and the golden head materialized while I watched the actual completion of a man, an immense man, not much smaller now than the angel. What distracted me was the fact that at the same moment, something seemed to be happening to the lizard. At first, I thought the operation had failed. So, so far from dying, the creature was still struggling and even growing bigger as it struggled. But as it grew, it changed. Its hinder parts grew rounder. The tail, still flickering, became a tail of hair that flickered between huge and glossy buttocks. Suddenly, I started rubbing my eyes what stood before me was the greatest stallion I had ever seen, silvery white, but with mane and tail of gold. It was smooth and shining, rippled with swells of flesh and muscle, whinnying and stamping with its hooves. At each step, the land shook and the trees trembled. The new-made man turned and clapped the new horse's neck. It nosed his bright body, Horse and master breathed into each other's nostrils, and in joyous haste, the young man leapt on the horse's back. Turning in his seat, he waved a farewell, then nudged the stallion with his heels, and they were off. And before I even knew what was happening, there was riding, if you like. I came out as quickly as I could from among the bushes to follow them with my eyes, but already they were only like a shooting star far off on the green plain, 
and soon among the foothills of the mountains. Then still, like a star, I saw them, winding up, scaling what seemed impossible steeps, quicker every moment, till near the dim brow of the landscape, so high that I must strain my neck to see them. Then they vanished, bright themselves, into the rose brightness of that everlasting morning. So that's the story. Just to clarify, we could wonder if this was his justification as well, right? We're on sanctification. Sanctification is when we more and more let go of the power of sin. But still, I think this is a beautiful picture of what sanctification is. It is the lifelong journey of the Christian to become, in reality, what we were pronounced at our justification, namely holy. And I'll read Hebrews 10 to kind of ground us here before moving on. It says, Hebrews 10, 12, and 14, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And then here it is, verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's a beautiful definition of how our justification and our sanctification, we have been declared perfect and holy and righteous, but we're not there yet. And so sanctification is working that out in those who have already been declared perfect and righteous and blameless. And again, I I start with the picture because I think one of the great needs for the church and for Christians is to recover a, a soaring vision of the beauty of holiness. Holiness is, is not a stuffy, boring thing. Holiness is, is not lame. Holiness is glory and happiness and joy that we can't even comprehend. And so that picture of this miserly, withered man being tormented by lust compared to this new man who can now ride his desires as they were meant to be written, and it is a glorious thing. I think it's helpful. So with that, we will jump in to the confession. There are three parts here, and we'll just kind of work our way through. Let me grab my water. Perhaps I'll, I'll pause here just for a moment, though, just to see if there's any reflections. It, was that your experience as well, that this idea when you hear the word holy, or even you think of heaven, or, or, or you think of what Christ is working in us? I mean, is that an exciting thing? Was that, what was your mental image of that, perhaps, growing up? Right. So there were there were quite a few things that God delivered me in 
maybe not quite that dramatic fashion, but right. something like uh, in that, yeah, in that category, like that, sure. In the sense of big 180s and, and turnarounds from previous things. Yeah. And being old now, there's a lot more things that are like slow and steady progress. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was kind of it was amazing you read so well of just to think about like, oh yeah, there's lots of things that I remember like when I was sixteen I used to shoplift and, and stuff like that and just things that he cured me of. Mm. Uh, mm. just like, no, why would you why would I? Right. But now being patient <laughs> right. a lot of different small things that are just like continually having to make it's yeah. it's such a when, so when somebody says sanctification, I, I, I kind of think I forgot a bit about the, the quick ones. Mm. And that it, you know, in con- justification is always talked about sort of instantaneously in mm-hmm. right. right. long haul. Yeah. So that was, that, was, that, was, that was a cool contrast for me to think about the, mm-hmm. the quick ones like that. But that's, that's a good point because, I mean, I, I think it is... We, we want to think of sanctification primarily as the slow, plodding millimeter by, by millimeter. I think w- what is most useful about this picture, though, is to show us what the destination of it is and show us that it's actually a, a one degree of glory to another that, that we are getting closer to. But, okay, well, thank you for that. Let's, uh, let's dive into to part, to part one, chapter 13. <clears throat> says, and now I'll just kind of take it section by section within that part. Those who are effectually called and regenerated, so those are things that we've already worked through, so this is the, the progress of here of, of salvation, have a new heart and a new spirit created in them. They are additionally sanctified, actually and personally, by the power of Christ's death and resurrection and by his word and spirit dwelling in them. And so the big idea is that those who, who were justified, declared holy, God actually, we should expect him to make us holy. Actually, measurably over time, we're getting growth in holiness. I, I remember a, a church context that I was in years back, and it was just so common to say, man, we're all jacked up. If, if you're jacked up, then welcome, because we're just a bunch of jacked up people that are forgiven. And it was just, um, and I, I, I get the point. The, the point was to make people who had not encountered Christ yet feel, feel welcome and feel like, hey, you, you are in the company of sinners. We're not standing over you. So in a sense, it's helpful. But in another sense, it's really unhelpful because it really undermines God's intention now for you to not be jacked up <laughs> anymore, to, to actually make progress, expect to make progress by faith in, in holiness. Paul Follow me now as, as I follow Christ. That wasn't a prideful thing to say. It wasn't false humility. It was an objective reality of I've made some growth in sanctification. And so insofar as I've done that, come on with me and let's, let's do that together. And so that's what they're hitting on here. <clears throat> and the th- section notes there's really three ways that we see biblically that sanctification happens. There, there's three, if we could say, means by which sanctification happens. I'm going to clump two of them together. Um, well, I, we could say there's four. I'm going to clump two, two of them together so that there'll be three. It happens through Christ's death and resurrection. So the, the objective thing that happened 2,000 years ago of the crucifixion of Christ and then his bodily resurrection, that's part of our sanctification. Christ's word, 
and Christ's spirit. And so let's put some, some Bible under those. So first, looking at Christ's death and resurrection and seeing how these are functional in our sanctification. Galatians 1, or excuse, excuse me, Galatians 2, 19 through 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so that's helpful for sanctification because your old man really was already crucified with Christ. That's absolutely essential. It's not, I, I hope that he was crucified with Christ. No, the, objectively, my old man was crucified with Christ because that's true. I can now live up more into that. And Paul says in Philippians 3.10, talking about his resurrection, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And I think this works in a couple ways. Um, one, the objective fact that Christ rose from the dead, Scripture calls him the, the first fruits of the resurrection. And so since we are united with the resurrected one, then we will one day be resurrected to new Christ-like bodily forms that, that are perfectly sanctified. And so there's power in the sense of that is coming. And so old man dead, resurrection happening and will happen. Therefore, we have objective evidence that this can actually happen. But um, also, and this is skipping ahead to, to spirit a little bit, but scripture says elsewhere that the same spirit who, who rose Christ from the dead dwells in us as well. And so think about that. The, the divine power that caused the heart of Jesus Christ to start beating again now indwells us. And we'll see to it that we become more and more like Christ until we finally see him and are made like him. Okay, now let's look at word. So these are the means by which we are sanctified. John 17, and I'll read verses 17 and 19. This is the high priestly prayer. So this is our Lord's longest prayer before he goes to the cross. He, he is praying primarily for, for his church and his disciples. He says to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word, we understand that to be the scriptures, is truth. And then verse 19, he says, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And so we have the word of God, which shows us what holiness looks like. And we can now, because we are regenerated, make, make grounds, make progress in that. So it's not like a, a magical Ouija board. If we hover around the word through osmosis, it does weird things. It's, it's no. With our minds, we can attend to the word of God with understanding now and then put it into practice. Um, Ephesians 5, 25 through 26. Again, we're on how the word is a sanctifying agent for us. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. 
And so this is a, a beautiful picture <laughs> and a harrowing one for, for husbands because we could add another sanctifying agent for wives specifically, namely husbands bringing the word to wash on, on their wives. Um, but the picture is, is talking about Christ, setting Christ up first as the example that husbands are, are to follow. Typically when we see that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, we go immediately to husbands, which, which we should. He's drawing the connection, but it's speaking about what Christ has done for us. He has sanctified us, and then he cleanses us, his body, by the washing of water with the word. Um, and I would even say, too, um, when we do the, the scripture readings during the service, understand that that's, this is one of the means by which Christ is sanctifying his body. So we meet on Sunday as the body of Christ, and whenever scripture is read, Ephesians 5 is happening more and more. We are being washed by the water. And so listen with faith, listen with expectation that the Lord is slowly but surely, we are rocks in a river, the water, the, the, the word passes over us and week by week, we're being washed more and more by it. Um, okay, now spirit. So Again, we're still looking at the, the means of sanctification according to the confession here. We have Christ's death and resurrection, his word, and then his spirit. Second Thessalonians 2.13, it says, We are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And so as Christians, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and that has set us apart objectively. We are, we are spirit bearers in the world, as opposed to those who do not bear the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit does, does his work in us through, through these means that we've discussed. So pause there quickly before moving on. Any thoughts or questions yet? Okay, I'll, I'll continue reading the, the next line. <clears throat> the power of sin ruling over the whole body is destroyed, and the desires of the old self are more and more weakened and killed. I'm going to read uh, Romans 6 here, two verses, 6 and 14, to, to show you where this is at in Scripture. It says, We know that our old self with, was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So the whole body of sin is, is destroyed. And you might hear that and say, not in me, it's not destroyed yet. <laughs> Um, and, and this is where perhaps the updated language doesn't capture the intention as well. The original language says that the, the dominion of sin is, is destroyed. And that's a key understanding here. And it's what the scripture itself says. But what it's getting at is whose reign are you under now? Who is the king over, over you now, functionally? Is it sin? Does sin dominate your existence now? Or does Christ now have dominion over you now? Has Christ claimed you as his? 
And the clear answer for the Christian is Christ does. So sin's reign, sin is not king anymore. It could trick us into thinking it is, but it's not. It's always a usurper. Every time a Christian sins, it's because sin usurped the throne for a minute because we had a moment of moral insanity. We forgot who our king was, and then we kick him off through repentance, and we put the rightful king who never left his throne, but we forgot in our mind we put him in his role now. So that is, it's just an objective fact, even if you don't feel like it. Christ is your king now, and you are under his dominion. So yes, we do still sin, but the amazing thing is we, we don't have to sin anymore. We, we talked about this weeks back how the um, unregenerate man cannot not sin. He, he will always sin. The amazing thing for the Christian is we can not sin if, if we're being led by, by the Spirit. Okay, um, Colossians 3, 5 through 6 helps, helps to clarify this. Um, and again, if, if we draw out the picture that I started with, with of the lizard, you can see it as a, as a slow, perhaps, chokehold, is what it really feels like in actual reality, where, where the, the life breath of the sin is being depleted, but it is a more gradual process than we'd want. But Colossians 3, where we're commanded to this end, it says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So put it to death. You are dead to it, so keep killing it. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, and it goes on from there. And there's one line in a theologian named John Murray that I thought was helpful here. He says, there is a, a total difference between surviving sin and reigning sin. There is a total difference between surviving sin, like a snake whose head has been cut off but is writhing, and reigning sin. And sin in the Christian is sur- surviving sin. It's the head's cut off, but it still is writhing. It's not the reigning sin anymore. So I thought that, thought that was helpful. And then I'll finish this first section out and leave some space for reflections for a moment again. It goes on to say, at the same time, the, the ability to practice true holiness without which no one will see the Lord is brought to life and strengthened by all the saving graces. And so this is really highlighting the, the, the contrast between the power of sin in us and the power of holiness in us as well. This is getting weaker and weaker, slowly, albeit, but is over time. And the life of Christ is being manifest more and more in us. <clears throat> Again, and, and what I want us to see is we not only can we, but we should expect to make, by the Spirit's help, real progress down this path. Um, this is what Paul says to the Colossians in chapter 1. And this is 10 and 12. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. I'll stop there. So we, we can do that now because of the Spirit in us. We, we can walk in a manner that pleases the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. So this is the process 
of sanctification, that initial picture that we read, drawn out over 50 years of strengthening in the knowledge of God and in our progress here in sanctification. So, okay, before going to two, any reflections here yet? This wasn't original to me, but I, I remember uh, but, um, the, the idea that it feels like as you get older in the faith, it feels like, am I making any progress <laughs> yeah. at all? Like, especially if you did have some dramatic right. conversion where right. there was some flashbang good stuff there, 180s. But then, I can't remember who, where I got this from, but um, somebody said then that God also, as you go further along, shows you mm -hmm. more of your wretchedness. Mm -hmm. That as a great kindness, he doesn't show you all of the junk at the mm -hmm. beginning, because that would kill you. Right. Um, and, and so you feel like you're not making any progress at all. Yeah. But that's because you're seeing more and more as well yeah. of how much he has to work on. Yeah. But so it's it's good to have friends that you only see every couple years or something. <laughs> so they can measure the progress. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm tempted to think I'm not. Yeah. And and so uh, it is it, it is good to, to step back and, and get a multi year perspective yeah. and be like, No, I, I, I am. I yeah, the Lord is at work. See how much further I have to right. go. Right. Right. That's good. Yeah, please. Oh boy, buckle up. Yeah. Um, but uh, on that same note, almost that it seems that from some of the people that I observe to be the most righteous in terms of, they really seem like they love Christ with all of their hearts and they want to obey Him in all things and they really seem to have it together. I often do see this, at least I am. You don't see my heart in the wretchedness of it. Yeah. And it seems to indicate this, like, the closer you get to God. Yeah. I think it, maybe, maybe it was C.S. Lewis who said, the closer you get to the light of God, the more that light reveals yeah. just how bad things actually are, which is kind of what we yeah. Robert was just saying. But would you say that that's an accurate uh, way to understand signification mm. that we are actually getting better, mm -hmm. but we are also being made more and more aware of how bad it actually is? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys pretty much just stole on my next section. So. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, it's, 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 it's fantastic because I'm much better in conversation than, than lecture. But that's, that's exactly right. So this first section, it's very encouraging, but it also might be very discouraging because you may feel like this, I'm, I feel like I'm going backwards here. And that's the next two sections are them dealing with the reality of how slow, how slow the growth is. And so that's, that's exactly... Right. Um, I think it perhaps Calvin, but he said the, the, the holier a man becomes, the more aware he is of, of his unholiness. Um, and that's why when we have dramatic either conversion experiences or just spurts of, we'll call it maturity, or just an outpouring of the Spirit in your life where something happens, and that was me in 2011. It was so profound that I questioned, I thought perhaps I just got saved for the first time, but I had a hunger for the Lord. Um, I had hunger for the word, I had hunger to disciple men, and I was so hopped up. I mean, that's a precious thing. Um, but you need to get grounded really quickly with mature people around you because the Lord in his wisdom will likely remove some of that wind from the sails as part of the sanctification process. Um, 
uh, I think it's screw tape letters, where the, the tempter is really encouraged because his, his patient is in a valley season of, of just spiritual dryness, and he's thinking, okay, I, I've, I've done it. And the older demon is instructing the, the, the tempter that you know nothing then about how God sanctifies his people. He says, our cause is never more in trouble than when he looks around him in, in a world of which any sense of the presence of God has vanished and asks why he's been forsaken and then continues to obey. That's when he's actually learning how to walk as a Christian, when, when he doesn't have, I think, again, perhaps Calvin, the, the ready breast of the mother to give what he wants at a moment's cry, where that feels removed, and you're like, what in the world has happened? Well, you're, you're starting to, to grow up a little bit. Um, and that's why emotions are an incredible gift of God. They are a blessing, but they're not a good barometer of the Lord's presence in your life or his, his work in your life. And so if we are using that as the measure for whether I had a spiritual experience in my devotions or at church or with my wife or whatever, um, it's just a very immature way because it's not reliable. Um, again, that's in no way to, to downplay the gift and blessing of emotions and all these things, but it's not the right barometer. So, yes, well said. And that's what they get to because it's almost as if they anticipate <laughs> our our thoughts here. Uh, So I'll just read two all the way through and we'll make a few more comments. This sanctification works in the whole person. And so, pause real quick. That's beautiful. This is almost, so you remember the T in total depravity. It's not that we're as bad as we could be. It's that depravity now touches every part of our being. Well, this is almost like the the anti-total depravity. Sanctification actually does start to work in in our whole being, but they continue on, but not completely or perfectly in this life. The old sinful nature retains some of its control in body, mind, and spirit. And so a continual and irreconcilable war goes on in every believer. So that's where even the frustration at your sin is actually a great evidence that you're in the war. (laughs) If you weren't bothered at all by your sin, well, you should be very concerned. If you are frustrated and even at times tormented by your lack of progress, that means the battle is raging on, which is seasons in the life of the believer. The old nature tries to get its way in opposition to the spirit, and the spirit fights to assert its authority over the flesh. Galatians 5.17 For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Romans 7, probably the the clearest picture of this civil war, as it were. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I would want to, but the evil I do not want to is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Um, And so, two ditches here. One 
is to not expect to make any growth at all in sanctification because we're all jacked up after all. We're Christians. No, the call is to genuine, dignified maturity over time. That's one ditch. The other ditch is to expect this to happen overnight and to be surprised 10 years later when you are still fighting the good fight. You will fight until you see your Lord. Uh, the fights will look different um, from different fronts and, and different, um, the different pressures in your life will expose different sins that were already there. But that is part, that is part of the Christian life. Um, and two other ways that, that we can think about these, these ditches. Um, one is um, antinomianism, and the other is legalism. So I'm going to say that these, and this is probably the last space we'll have for, well, I'll read the third just to say that I got through it. Um, but the, these are two hindrances to sanctification. Antinomianism, big fancy word, I'll define it in a section, and legalism. So antinomianism, it comes from two words, antinomos, which literally means against the law. And, and, and this is the brand of Christianity that pits grace against law. So law, bad, Old Testament stuff, grace, good, Jesus stuff. And so because we are under grace, I'm really not all that compelled to fulfill the law because that only condemns me and Jesus took care of all of that. I'm all jacked up. Um, and that's, that's antinomianism and Paul had no time for that. We, we, the law is good when it is understood lawfully. Um, its first use is um, for us to understand our need for Christ. <laughs> um, but once that has been understood and we turn to Christ and we are in Christ, then we can, as we've seen, make real strides in holiness. The other ditch that is a hindrance to sanctification is, is legalism. Um, and the legalist is the one who is super into optics, super into how righteous he appears in comparison to others. And that's the real poison of, of legalism. It is constantly comparing under the guise of piety um, how much more pious, how much more holy we are than others. So dangers in our brand of Christianity. Our, our church's liturgy is so robust in comparison to the church down there. Or our fill-in-the-blank is my Sabbath observance is so on point in comparison to the other Christians I know or whatever it is. Um, good liturgy is, is good. <laughs> Sabbath observance is good. But the legalist is going to want to compare it to the other person and find his righteousness, not in comparing himself to the holiness of God, realizing he can't hold up at all, but comparing himself to the unholiness of his neighbor and feeling like, okay, I'm really making some good strides in holiness there. And the reason that that is so dangerous is because it does have the appearance of holiness. Um, and it can be really convincing that you've made some real strides in sanctification when... Um, you've made perhaps very little, if that is where you go to often. Um, so both antinomianism and legalism are ditches on the sanctification road, and we must honestly assess our hearts on both fronts. Do we give ourselves cheap grace and don't even try to fight sin because grace has covered it all? Use grace as an excuse for sin, by no means, as Paul said. Or do we have a lot of external um, trappings that we have become quite impressed with, actually, especially in comparison to the rest of the Christians around me. So, okay, section three. 
Although the old nature temporarily wins in this warfare, the continual strengthening of the sanctifying spirit of Christ enables the regenerate nature in each believer to overcome. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I'm going to quote G.I. Williamson here, who has a wonderful study on the confession. He says, All work which is performed by us in sanctification is the effect of that which God has done and is doing in us by his Holy Spirit. His work does not make our work unnecessary, but rather makes it certain. When we find ourselves willing and able to fight against sin, we may know that God works in us by his might and power. Of ourselves, we can do nothing. We can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. And this brings us to mention the means of grace. It has pleased God to strengthen us in this warfare by means of the word, sacraments, prayer, and discipline. The Holy Spirit makes these effectual to the sanctification of the believer. So two, two quick uses um, for us. Um, one, be encouraged. Yes, we have a real role to play in this, but it is all God's doing, and he will sanctify his bride. Christ loves his bride, and Christ is eager to present his bride without blemish to his father. And so he is more motivated even than you are to sanctify you. And so give yourself to the process by faith. Fight your sins. Know your sins. Have a name for them. Know when they happen. Take this seriously. And then do it by faith. And then I'd say the second thing is we don't become holy by trying really hard to be holy. (laughs) Um, We become holy by worshiping Christ. We become holy by reading the word of Christ. We become holy by being around the body of Christ. We become holy by more and more holy by starting each week with Lord's Day service with the body of Christ and having the common means of grace to us, the word and the sacrament, and trust that process for the next 60 or 70 years or however long the Lord has given you, and you will, by the Spirit, make gains in sanctification. From time to time, perhaps it's helpful to measure where I am from where I am from where I've come, but... Probably not more often. <laughs> um, I like how you said that. Perhaps see those friends every three or four years that can help remind you of, yeah, you actually aren't as much of a jerk anymore. But um, it is a slow process. It is meant to, to humble us um, so that God, the, the, God can get glory for the grace that he gives us in, in these seasons. So and pray for us. <clears throat> Father, you, you know all of our stories. You, you know us down to the last molecule. You know all the hidden thoughts. You know all the secret sins. You know all the frustrations um, that, that we carry. Um, and you know our self-righteousness as well, the, the way that, that we try to defend against our, our shame and our sin. And so we thank you that you are a patient, gracious God. I pray that you would um, encourage us greatly um, as we go forth, um, that you really are transforming us moment by moment from one degree of glory to the next, 
I pray that you would fill us with great faith that Christ loves his bride. He loves his bride. He loves to beautify her. He loves to encourage her. He loves to, to be glorified in, in her beauty. And so I, I pray that as a people, we would not look to ourselves, we would not look to our own righteousness, but we would look to Christ. And as we know, we, you become like what you worship, and that we would be Christ worshipers who look and smell more and more like him because we are so often near him and looking to him. In Christ's name, amen.